0: want to say a special welcome, just really glad that you're here with us this morning, glad that you're here to worship Jesus with us. It's very simply what we do is we love to worship uh, the Son who was God, who came in full humanity and divinity, yet lived a whole total life without sin, and died the death that was necessary for us to die, yet He did it in our place, in our stead, for our sins, so that we would be made right with God, and uh, and a part of that is a lot we're going to lay before, uh, what Jesus is going to lay before us today, which is this idea of blood being shed, and why that is necessary for any of that to even be fulfilled. So uh, before we get into the text, um, I wanted to invite Josh up here real quick, and uh, Tat, I'm just going to use, I think this is Luke's uh, microphone here, Um, just wanted to encourage you all. You know, there is uh, so much happening around us. God's doing so much in and through us, especially if you're a member. You were at the member meeting last Sunday. You heard uh, profound stories of grace, and it was awesome to hear that God is clearly at work. God's gospel is still advancing. It's still moving forward. It is still transforming lives as it promised it would. And um, Josh, uh, we sat down this past week. God's been doing a lot in his life, and uh, it just so encouraged me that I said, man, we got to get more of this stuff to be told and to share with the church, and so um, I just wanted Josh just to take a few minutes and catch you guys up to speed on his life. I don't know if uh, how many of you know him, but uh, started t- attending Cab back in July, um, so hasn't even really been with us for even, I guess, a full year yet. And uh, God's blowing his soul up, so it's it's uh, it's. Can I say that? I guess I don't even know what that means, but it's uh, it's exciting to see God uh, grow in Josh. So if you don't mind, just briefly, kind of. Uh, picking up from the first time you attended here to kind of the journey of where God is leading you maybe next week.
1: Yeah. Can you hear me? Sorry.
0: Did I mute it? I might have muted it. Hold on. Let me see if I... No, I didn't. You're good. Okay.
1: So um, the first time I came to Cab, I sat in the back and, uh, you know, I, I really appreciated the service so much that um, at the end I was praying for like a Spurgeon-like revival that we would just, you know, not leave at 11.30 and just stay here for another like four hours. So, since then I mean, I've always been really encouraged um, coming here. Um, and some of uh, some of the things that really kind of um, fed into me were the community groups and um, the Christian brothers and sisters that, that I've met while I was uh, here. So, um, I guess as I'm just sharing this story uh, for lack of a better word, I'm going to use the pronoun I, but um, really it's been the Holy Spirit working through people and um, working in my life as well. Um, so uh, like um, Pastor Mike said, I, uh, I started coming to CAB in July, um, and my last Sunday here is going to be um, next week. Uh, I bought a one-way ticket to go to Costa Rica to work with a foundation called Seeds of Hope um, that works with uh, children involved in um, uh, prostitution or alcohol abuse, uh, in Jaco, Costa Rica. Um, just to give you some information, I was working in the city um, and when I you know, had a phone call with uh, the woman, uh, Penny, who runs the organization, it was kind of funny because she told me, I mean, you know, you'll wear long pants here and then uh, you'll just be wearing shorts. I never wear shorts. I had to buy you know, um, flip-flops last week because you know, as I'm like talking to her, I'm like, looking at all my ties and shirts and like suits, <laughs> like, okay, well, what is all of this? So, um, just to to start, I guess, uh, in October, there was a a message that really kind of spoke to me, and before we came into communion, um, you know, I was praying and getting some things right in my life, and I felt like there was um, sort of a a call uh, from God, well, not sort of, it was, um, to do something more with my life, and uh, my grandfather had just passed away, where my family is Romanian, so I thought, maybe God wants me to go to Europe or something like that. So I went in the back, and one of my friends, Michelle, was uh, on the prayer team. And, um, you know, I'm not usually a very emotional guy, but both of us ended up, you know, having tears in our eyes from this conversation uh, and really feeling the Lord kind of stirring. Um, so I told her, you know, you know that day, uh, I need to get a couple things right in my, my life. Is there an accountability group or something that I can get involved in? So she uh, introduced me to Don Heutzma, Um mm-hmm who, uh, I have I mean, I've, I was thinking about it in the last couple of weeks. I've only known Don for uh, a few months, but I feel we're like so tight. He's somebody that I can really rely on and trust on um, to, to lead me. So um, from, from there, uh, in January, I actually lost my job in December, and um, I had a couple of interviews lined up with places that I actually wanted to work for, um, but nothing seemed to work out. But since I wasn't working, I had the opportunity to go to the Dominican Republic to a men's conference there. And um, it wasn't in my fa- in our faces, but it was in my face that there's this problem um, in some of the resort towns with uh, uh, wealthy Americans, Europeans coming and doing things with children that they're not allowed to do, you know, in, in this country. Um, so I came back and I spoke to Don and... Uh, You know, he asked me, oh, how was your trip? I was like, good, but, you know, there was just this weird, like, thing that God kind of, like, threw in my face about, you know, this um, problem with children being used in ways that they weren't designed to be used. So he goes, wow, what a coincidence. My daughter Danielle worked at Seeds of Hope in Costa Rica that deals with this problem. And I totally forgot about October. I mean, it wasn't until, like, last Thursday that I even remembered this. Um, So my first reaction was like, oh, that's really interesting Maybe I can get some more information. And, um, you know, just through persistence by Danielle and uh, Don, I, uh, you know, I kept trying to dodge what God wanted me to do. I had, you know, an interview lined up, and I was talking with some firms I actually wanted to, to work with. So um, finally it got to the point where, uh, you know, I, I was put in contact with Penny. Um, this was like two Mondays ago. So this all happened very quickly, and um, and just through speaking with Penny, I realized like, oh my goodness, I have to go do this, like I can't, I can't dodge this. So, um, you know, the first thing I did was talk to my dad, because uh, you know I thought maybe he would say something like, well, really consider this, and he said, you just need to go. It's like okay. I talked to one of my friends who uh, actually isn't a believer. And when I mentioned, you know, the idea of this to him in February, he said, this is ridiculous. These people just steal money. They don't even help the kids. You know, most of it goes into people's pockets. Um, so when I mentioned to him that Monday, he's like, dude, I don't know why you keep talking about this. Just go. So even to hear from him, I was like, oh, my goodness, this is really rough. So <laughs> I thought, <laughs> I thought, let me, let me um, you know, turn to First Samuel and uh, kind of see when, you know, God called Samuel, or when God, you know, anointed uh, David to to become king, and um, I thought about it, and I was like, I'm really not a David or a Samuel, I'm more of a uh, Jonah. So, I went to Jonah, and... um,
0: This is my favorite part of your story. You guys are, like, laughing at my
1: misery here, but,
0: um, so I went to Jonah, and... um, It's a great book to read if you're feeling depressed. Yeah. makes you more depressed, just so you know. Well, in
1: chapter 2 of Jonah is um, when he's, you know, swallowed up by the fish. And um, he kind of realizes, uh, you know, I, I need to go to Nineveh because, I mean, I'm in the belly of the fish. You can't really get worse than this. So verses like 1 through 7, they're speaking about, um, you know, the uh, the despair that we have in, in sin and um, the power of God to... Uh, to bring us out of that, which is something that I understand as a Christian, but what really spoke to me was uh, verses eight and nine. Um, it says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. And um, through, through um, just within the last couple of months of you know Christian brothers like uh, Jeff Burks bringing me to, to Bible studies and things like that or people um, admonishing me with scripture that I should read, uh, I learned that um, steadfast love uh, usually is used when God is speaking to the Israelites, and that's speaking to their covenant. So for us as Christians, that's speaking to um, you know our our bond with Christ as you know members of the family through uh, the purchase that He did on the cross. So um, that kind of spoke to me because I was like, I can't I can't be a Christian um, and not listen to to what God is asking me to do to chase you know my my job, my career, the things that I want to do to, you know, build wealth, build money. uh, Those are all vain idols. And if I, if I'm going to continue chasing those, uh, I'm going to
0: be,
1: I'm going to be in a lot of trouble. I mean, I might as well just give up because uh, that's, that's not what we're called to do. Um, In verse nine, it says, uh, but I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And, um, you know, this whole time I've been praying for a job and praying, you know, uh, where I was working before, sometimes i joke with my dad that it was like Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, and I was always praying, God, like, put me with some Christians in, in where I'm going to work. God, prepare the hearts of the people I'm going to work with. Lord, help me to be a witness and a testimony. And, you know, here it was that God is, I'm going to be working with all Christians. I'm going to be having an opportunity to share my testimony, you know, every single uh, day with the people that I'm working with, um, so that kind of spoke to me too. Where it was like, mm. what I vowed, I will pay. Like you have to show up. You have to. You have to do this. Um, so I've I've been praying this prayer um, hmm. almost every day except for March 11th. I missed. But um, wow. I mean, going well, you're killing be it. More
0: than ninety percent. Don't worry. But
1: <laughs> I don't know. Um, the the thing that I, I guess um, I wanted to share with you guys is that. None of this was really through me. I mean, I finally, you know, um, called and said, you know, Penny, I'll, I'll do this. This is something that I'm willing to do, whether it's uh, three months or, you know, 30 years. Uh, whatever God is, you know, willing to do with me, I'm, I'm open to it, and I'm going to follow and uh, obey his instruction. But what I really wanted to share with you guys is the fact that um, it was through, you know, our Friday night Bible studies and community groups. It was through um, just meeting and speaking with people. I mean, when I first came to Cab, I didn't know anyone. I just sat in the back, and I was introduced to all of um, these people through um, uh, a friend, Cap Madrid, who I, I knew in, uh, in college, who came up and said, you know, hello, let's introduce you to some people, get you involved. So I guess I just wanted to share what God has done uh, in my life through through using people and through, you know, somebody like Michelle being right with the Lord and ready in the prayer group for um, whatever God brought um, to her. Uh, so I guess I just wanted to share that and um, say thank you to everybody who has worked in my life and um, just give you guys a little bit of uh, encouragement.
0: Yeah, so just, just so you're, you're clearly following the story Sorry. too. Um, <laughs> no, it's it, beautiful. I mean, super encouraging. I mean, he, Josh was a guy who was just chasing the dream of trying to just work it up in New York City and just going after jobs, and if you sit and talk with him, like that's just where his heart was, and so this is a massive change for Josh to say, uh, I'm gonna go after the kingdom of God in a totally different way. Uh, because God's leading me that way, and also to just encourage you as the body that God is using so many of you in the lives of people that maybe you don't even realize, that you're, you guys were all part of sowing seeds so that now he's getting on a plane next Monday. Uh, he doesn't know for how long to live the gospel and share the gospel with people uh, that he's also uniquely wired for. I mean, there's so many aspects of this that are just... We don't have time to share with even just them looking for you and your wiring, speaking Spanish, needing that for their mission and for their organization. And yeah,
1: that's like all I have. I can like yeah. speak Spanish. Well, and you I got more like than that. The I follow mean, Holy Spirit, you know? Everybody he, else, like I'm not involved. I, I never really thought of like child trafficking or yeah. things like that. Something to get, something for me to get involved in. Yeah. So, I mean, it really isn't me. You it know? is. I haven't done the homework, I guess.
0: It, no, it's, it's so encouraging. I mean, and also just to get more into the heart of Josh, I mean, uh, you know, his mother passed when you were 15, right? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, something for Josh, even in general, is just saying goodbye. Like, that is uh, very challenging. That, so, this is this is frightening to anybody, but even more so to Josh who's, uh, who grieves just any time he says goodbye or not knowing when he's going to see people again. Or so There are many ways that God's at work in this uh, movement and this story in this way that God is clearly working in your life, using scripture, using people, using the church. I remember I was talking about the parable of the 10 Minas, when, mm-hmm. when we walked through that as a Faithfully is another kind of building block of how am I using my life for the glory of God, for the kingdom of God. And so- Um, I wanted Josh to be up here, one, so you could pray for him. Uh, He boards a plane next Monday, but I said whether he's gone 10 days or 10 years, doesn't matter. He's being faithful. He's being obedient. Um, He's had people telling him he's nuts. That's great. Christians are supposed to be a little nuts uh, in the sense of following after the call of God. So I want him to stand here knowing we as a church say, man, go after the kingdom of God. Like, that's why we're here. We're here to pray for you. We're here to encourage you. We're here to celebrate the ways that God is uh, graciously at work. And I also just wanted to pray for him real quick before we dive into Luke. So, um, And he's got more. He's a preacher. So he, no. you might end up to... staying down there playing a church. You never know. So, um,
1: I have uh, some note cards in the back. Oh, yes. And when my, uh, when my mother passed away, there was a uh, uh, Bible study group of women who all wrote um, verses uh, of encouragement for me. And they wrote their names down too. So I brought some note cards for you guys if you'd like to um, write a verse that's, you know, helped you in a similar moment of your life or something that you think would help me and uh, write your name so I can uh, pray for you and also, um, you know, dwell in the word that's helped you as well.
0: That's awesome. Do you want to preach Luke 22 or? I'm not prepared I feel that. like I feel like giving it over right now. Well, can we just, can we just pray for it? Josh? Pray that God would continue to move and be faithful here. Uh, Father, we thank you that you are at work in this place, that you're working in your church globally. That God, were fools to believe that uh, nothing is occurring because you've promised that you will continue to build your church, that you will continue to save and sanctify your people, that you would continue to send labors into the field. Uh, so God, we're thankful for stirring in Josh, for using this church and people here to speak into his life, to encourage him, to pray for him. Thank you for a wild step of faith that he is taking. I know this is uh, terrifying for him, yet also exciting. We pray that this would uh, be uh, nothing more than him, you continuing to grow him more in the image of Jesus, that uh, this would result in greater glory to your name, a greater love for you and passion for you out of Joshua's heart, and that not more people would continue to hear and know the saving work of Jesus. We pray that you would lead him in this way. Uh, we pray that you would continue to stir up in us, God, in ways that make us look like what the Scriptures would say we are to look like. Uh, Father, thank you for your grace upon him. Uh, Thank you for just his uh, personality, for his wiring, for the ways that you fashioned him. uh, Before the foundation of the world, you knew the steps he would take. I need that this step is not a surprise to you, so may he find great courage and comfort knowing that you're with him always to the very end of the age, as you told us in Matthew 28. Use his time there, and we're excited just to see however you desire to use this and choose to. And lead us into Luke 22. May we be encouraged. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, uh, Josh. Um, And just make sure you you find him. And I hope you have enough note cards in that thing. I uh, look kind of small, so make sure you guys fill out some verses and encourage him. Let's go to uh, Luke 22. We're going to uh, jump in here where we are learning about uh, basically the last life of Jesus Christ. Now, here's what is really awesome. What I, lo- I love the providence of God and just, just kind of setting up, hey, these are books we're going to walk through. And then we don't know where they're all- always going to fall and land in the trajectory of things. But um, that we get to kind of walk through the Passion Week of Jesus as we head to Good Friday for us to celebrate Good Friday, remember Good Friday, and ultimately Easter Sunday Uh, in a couple of weeks. So it's great. We're getting to just slowly walk through and finish out the last week of Jesus Christ's life and public ministry um, together in this book. And so that's what we've been seeing. We saw him a couple of weeks ago enter into Jerusalem on a colt, unlike any king would, humbly, obscurely. He comes in and all the people are hailing him as king. Most of them don't understand why they're doing that. And then uh, we see him go into the temple and overthrow the, the tables because they were abusing the temple of God that was supposed to be used for the glory of God. They were extorting the poor. They were trying to get rich. And then you see all the while Jesus uh, always going after the religious elite, uh, attacking the religious system, their self-righteousness, then believing that salvation is found through works and not through ultimately what he will do on the cross and breaking his body, shedding his blood for forgiveness of sin. And here we're, we're all the way up to after last week where he was reminding them again, hey, I'm going to return. There's a second coming that's going to happen. So you need to be watchful. You need to be alert. You need to persevere. You need to be upheld by me, see more of me, and endure through the power of my spirit, and um, now what's awesome is he is going to really start to land the plane, and you're going to see through this whole thread that Jesus is in charge of everything. This is God's plan ultimately. God, This was God's plan from the beginning, right? So uh, you're going to see all of this unfold in beautiful ways. So um, it is Wednesday night. It's likely getting late uh, in the week of the Passion Week, and he's likely sitting on the Mount of Olives where he would go to during the week, uh, during this week, because it was so crowded due to Passover that he would try to get out and sleep somewhere else else because there wasn't a lot of room and so him and his disciples would Uh, trek up there and talk and pray, and uh, here he's on the Mount of Olives with his disciples. It is now time to put this plan into motion because he knows the next day, Thursday, is going to be where he celebrates the Passover, and the following day is Friday, where he's going to be crucified and give his life as a ransom for many, and so um, this is just awesome seeing this all kind of happen because now he's at this hour, so let's pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 22 and see what Luke tells us. Chapter 22, verse 1. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover, and the chief priests and scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him, to lead them in the absence of a crowd." Okay, so Passover's been approaching. We've discussed this at length throughout the gospel according to Luke and it's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This was a week-long feast and they would celebrate the Passover on the first day of this feast. Now just for history's sake, kind of 15 to 21st Nisan, which is April in our calendar, this is when they would celebrate this Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now the reason that it's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread in short is because when the people were delivered from Israel in the Exodus, right, it was such a quick Exodus that they didn't have time, per se, to use leavened bread to celebrate it. So they used unleavened bread, and that's what they would eat to celebrate um, this deliverance from their slavery in Egypt. And understand, though, throughout this entire time, as, as Jesus is rolling out, really foreshadowing that he will be the Passover lamb, which we're going to get into in a minute, this, this whole time as we're seeing all of these events build in Luke, ultimately to culminate at Calvary on the cross, right, where he will die and shed his blood and break his body for sin, as all of this is happening, remember, the religious elite this whole time are trying to conspire as to how to kill Jesus. They, they, they hate that he's attacking the religious system. They hate that he has more growing popularity than them. They are arrogant, they are prideful, they are greedy. Um, they do not really love God. They love their system, they love what they're doing. And so Jesus has consistently and aggressively been going after them. And so here is even Jesus' is days away, hours away from doing this, they're still trying to figure out, well, how are we gonna arrest him? How are we gonna kill him? Now, the reason they're trying to figure that out is, Jesus has gained popularity. I mean, he's raised people from the dead. He's given sight to the blind. He's given hearing to the deaf. He's doing massive, massive things. And so they believe that the crowd will probably riot if they try to do anything to Jesus, especially during Passover. So it's likely that they're thinking in their minds, man, let's kind of try to find him, arrest him, hold him until after Passover so everybody can get out of here. Then we can deal with him. Now that makes it even more profound that Jesus says, no, I'm dying in two days. They have a plan. God has a plan. doesn't matter what man wants to do. God will always overrule. God will always do what he ultimately wants to do for the glory of his name and good of our souls. And so here we see as they're continuing to try to figure this thing out, the problem that continued to plague them was how. We don't want these people to, to freak out. and We don't want to get mobbed by them. We don't want to be overthrown by them. And so uh, it's incredible here, and these, you're going to see later in a few weeks, we're actually look at kind of this betrayal that happens, but here's kind of the inauguration of it. Satan uses this greed in Judas to expose this. So crafty, smart, sly Satan. This is how he always works, right? He's by nature a deceiver. He resolves to kind of meet this need by entering into Judas and helping them to arrest him. So Satan sees the greed that's already in Judas's heart and just uses that to an ultimately have him betray Jesus. Now, we don't have enough time for this, but this is a lot of the ways that he works. Like, like he just looks at the idolatry that lingers in you and just goes after it. Like, just, just what's your Achilles heel? That's where he'll bite, right? That's where he'll try to use to have you be tainted in your view of God and grow in love for that thing that you love. It's a lot of what Josh was talking about, the, the vain idols that we must forsake, right, to get the steadfast love that God offers us. That's what's crazy. Steadfast love is offered us, yet we go after vain idols. So this greed that will ultimately kill Judas literally and figuratively... Satan uses, so Satan Satan enters him and he uses this greed in Judas' heart to sort out a plan to conspire against Jesus. This is why the scriptures constantly teach we have one of two fathers, we either have God as our father or or, or, uh, Satan as our dad, right? We either follow the ways of God or follow the ways of the world. The world is under the dominion to some way, shape, or form of the enemy who is Satan. He does not have sovereignty, he is not over God, but God has given him ways. He's on a leash, he has to act for permission, but he is active here. He is a lion that prowls around looking for people to devour. So uh, we see this throughout um, the the Bible and also especially here that that Satan's trying to do something to thwart the plans of God. And so here Judas is chosen as an instrument of Satan instead of an instrument of God. And I want us to understand something at this point because I've had a lot of discussions and and seen a lot when it comes to this. Um, God is not at all surprised that this happens. Like Jesus is not surprised. Because he's omniscient, he's all-knowing, and and he knows that Satan is entering Judas to do this. thing. that's why even the Lord's Supper is going to tell Judas, hey, you need to leave. I mean, this, this has always been. So understand, nothing that's occurring. If you're new to Christianity, if you're new to the Bible, man, nothing that you're seeing in this story is Jesus going, oh, man, I can't believe he's going to betray me. I can't believe there's someone here that's going to do this. He knows it's going to happen. It's all a part of his sovereign plan. It's all a part of how this will all work to getting Jesus to be killed on Friday because God wants him to be killed on Friday because God has a plan that's going to be enacted to offer his son up for forgiveness of sins. It's absolutely amazing to see this. So we have to understand that nothing is happening outside the plan of God. Like Jesus will not ultimately be sentenced to death because the Romans decided it. He will not be ultimately sentenced to death because the Jews kind of found a way to finally arrest him in the garden and then later bring him before Pilate. He will not ultimately be brought to death because Satan entered Judas and Judas decided it was a good idea in his greed to get some money to be exchanged for the king of the Jews. No, he will ultimately die his death at the precise hour that God says yes. Yes. Yes, now he will die. And the reason why is he is going to have to die at the precise time that thousands of lambs will be slaughtered for the Passover to signify that he is the ultimate lamb that will be slain for the forgiveness of sins. Amazing, amazing. And this is why if you just continue to read through Luke, Jesus says all the time, what, no one takes my life from me, right? I lay it down. He'll actually stand before Pilate and say, "Uh, you can't actually do anything unless God the Father lets you do it. This is why later, when he's actually in the garden and they all show up, right, to, to betray him, and, he, and he's standing there, he goes, I don't know why you guys got swords and clubs. Like, this is the time it's supposed to happen. Just take me. <laughs> like, I, like, are you coming here for a fight? Like everything always happens. That's why, man, they always tried to kill him. Back when he was an infant, they tried to kill him. In Luke 4, they tried to throw him off a cliff. I mean, you can just go through the whole gospel of Luke time and time again when the world, when the system, when the religious tried to go after Jesus, he would constantly be like, it's not my time yet. It's not the hour yet. No, you can't do that. <laughs> just read Luke. It's amazing. Jesus was in full control of every last bit of these things. So, so, so awesome to see this. You know, I want us to also understand something before we move on to the next verse that leads us into this beautiful picture of the Passover and Jesus being our Passover Lamb, and that's that's understanding every thread you see Jesus enter into and experience is all to always consistently also remind you that He is your great High Priest, Hebrews four that can identify with every last bit of weakness and strain and pain you walk in. So here he's going to be betrayed by a friend. He knows what that's like. If you've been betrayed. If you've been deceived, if you've had people who you thought were good friends malign you and slander you, man, your Jesus gets it to the highest degree. He feels it. I love, despite his full godness, he has his full humanness in that he he wells up with emotion. You're gonna see it at the Lord's Supper. He feels these things. He's not indifferent to these things, and that's why he is a great high priest for us, a great savior. So so that's why we constantly have to kind of, as we see the story of Jesus, as we see him experience things, you always got to see those things so you can lean into your high priest in ways that he can identify with you when you hit those moments. So he's no longer a God that's abstract, just kind of worshiping in theory. He's a God you're walking with, who's with you, who in moments of pain, suffering, betrayal, you go, yes, you get this, and you can help me in this and minister to me in this greater than any person can greater than any counselor can, greater than any pastor can, because he is the high priest who's identified in its deepest, deepest ways he understands. So verse seven, let's look at this. Then the day came of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. This is now Thursday. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, well, where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, behold, when you, are entered, when you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Following him will be the house that he entered, and tell the master of that house. The teacher says to you, where's the guest room where we may eat the Passover with my disciples? Can you imagine this? Go find a guy carrying water, go to his house and be like, hey, we're setting up shop here. We're going to have a meal. I mean, that's just insane, right? This is Jesus consistently still showing, hey, I'm in charge of this whole thing goes down. Like, I'm going to tell you here to go. This is like when he rode into a colt. Well, well, how am I going to go in? Go find the colt. This is where it's tied. This is how it's tied. This is what the guy's going to say to you. This is how you bring it to me. It's just incredible. I mean, he's just constantly showing us that, hey, I'm in charge of this whole thing. So he tells his disciples, and he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. By the way, there's going to be furniture there. So that's where you're going to prepare it. And they went and found it just as he had told him they prepared the Passover. So now it's Thursday, right? Jesus tells Peter and John to prepare this Passover meal for that evening. Why does he do this? He does this because he knows he's going to be given as the Passover lamb on Friday. He knows that this all has to happen in a specific timetable for him to ultimately do what he's going to do. So he's telling Peter and John, hey, go prepare this Passover for this evening because he knows on Friday when sunset occurs, thousands of Passover lambs will be slaughtered and he knows because of the exodus that blood had to be shed for the wrath of God to pass over you. And it had to be done by a perfect, spotless, blameless lamb and he knew that he would be, to echo John, back in Luke chapter three, the lamb of God who would be slain to take away the sins of the world. And so here... It's awesome. He's gonna die in perfect accordance with the Passover sacrifice because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, he is our Passover. So Jesus is, this is awesome. There's a shift now. Jesus is moving from, it's not time yet, hold off, have him give you authority for that to okay, let's start moving in. Let's start inaugurating this. The cross is getting closer. The cross is imminent. And this is Jesus continuing to show he's in control of everything. Now just to remind us about the Passover briefly, even though we've talked about this, I know there's a, a lot of new people in this place. Um, very simply, here's how you can understand what Jesus is, is inaugurating, the, the weight of this, the importance of this. Um, the Passover is very simply, um, and, and just so you notice, the first day of unleavened bread, okay, it always was celebrated the first day of the week of the feast, commemorating again God delivering his people from Egypt. So um, if you look back in in the Bible in Genesis 12, God comes to Abraham, says, Through your descendants, I'm going to make a nation. Everyone's going to see your nation, see the people, and say, Your God is awesome. Your God is glorious. Your God is holy. And what happens is, is that happens. That becomes the nation of Israel. His descendants become the people of God. Where is the nation of Israel? And famine hits. They try to take refuge in Egypt. 400 years passes, they're there. There are good pharaohs, there are bad pharaohs. It all culminates to the worst one of all who oppresses his people, makes them slaves, abuses them. Awful. So God raises up a guy named Moses who goes in to say, Hey, I want to deliver my people. You need to let them go. They're mine, right? And he warns Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, No. And then he keeps warning Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, No. And then he says, Fine, I'm going to bring plagues. I'm going to bring judgments. And these things keep coming to the last final plague, the last final judgment, where basically Moses is a mouthpiece. God says, hey, you've still got one shot at mercy. You've still got a way out. And he says, and if you don't, death is gonna come to the people here and this angel of death is gonna come and the firstborn in every one of your houses will die. Yet, God made a provision. God made a way out. God made a way that death would not consume you but pass over you. And so what he did was he had the people, they took a a lamb that was spotless and unblemished, slaughter it and take the blood and wipe it over the doorposts of their house. The angel of death would pass over them and spare all of those who were covered by the blood. Oh, the blood that washes me. Oh, the blood that was shed for me. So this is all the foreshadowing. So every year, God's people would gather to celebrate. We were in slavery. We needed a way out. We needed a substitute in our place to protect us not only from the angel of death, but ultimate death due to our sin. And in the future work of Jesus Christ and his blood being shed, we now have a way out. And that was the picture of this. This was the foreshadowing of this. This was all to point to Jesus who would ultimately be our substitute and wrath taker. All of this, all that we see. And so understand all of that weight. I mean, and again, you can go back to sermons that we've walked through. We've more explicitly walked in the Passover and talked about these things because this has all been building. But but ultimately, this is what these people are feeling and thinking, especially the disciples. So as they're about to see what Jesus is gonna inaugurate in the Lord's Supper, this is massive. This is huge. So Jesus tells Peter and Peter Who else? Peter and John. He tells them, okay, you're going to go do this. Now here's just a few things to prepare the meal, right? Jesus doesn't want to be seen. A lot of people are like, well, I don't understand. Why didn't Jesus just go out there and do it? No. He knows he'll be mobbed. He knows there's millions of people converging for Passover. Why is he going to go in? And he's now in an obscure time because, again, he's plotting out his timeline. He knows if I go do that, that won't fulfill ultimately the plan of God. So he goes and says, hey, find a guy with a jar. Now this is why that's significant is because that would totally stand out. Sorry, ladies, but it was only women who'd be carrying jars with water. That that was just the way it was in the first century, right? The, you see this throughout the, the text and the Gospels, right? So find a guy carrying a jar of water. Well, that's going to stand out. That's nothing that we would really see. And then always two people would usually go to get a sacrifice. The reason this was, it's probably why he sent Peter and John. The reason is because it helped calm down the numbers. If you've got hundreds of thousands of lambs needing to be slaughtered with millions of people, if you just have two people coming instead of the whole kit and caboodle, you're going to have a lot less people coming for the animals, right? so it just helped cut down the numbers so he just kind of follows tradition hey Peter and John you guys go look for the person with this water and they got to do a lot to prepare this meal there's herbs, there's spices, there's, there's so much meaning they had to get the bread, they had to get the lamb, they had to slaughter it they had to bring it, they had to prepare everything and all that they would do, all that they would have happen here were the beautiful depictions of remembering the great exodus when Jesus freed them from their bondage and delivered them, and death passed over them. Now I always wanna just help um, the skeptic in the room a little bit because this is really honestly me and, and this is what I've always kind of walked in. And um, that's one of the reasons I love reading Josephus. And if you're not familiar with him, he, he is a first century Jewish historian. He's not a uh, Bible guy. He's not like in the inerrant text. That's why I love him because he's somebody outside of the text who can, uh, there's no reason for him to validate these things or affirm things or encourage the validity of the Bible, right? So um, he has a, a lot of works. But um, one of the things that, that he was wonderful in helping me think through was I used to always read this passage and think to myself, I don't know if any of you guys or anyone else is thinking this, but why is Jesus doing the Passover Thursday? Right, I mean, he's supposed to die on Passover, which is Friday. Now, maybe I just gave you a reason to be like, yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. right? Well, why, why don't any of the disciples go, well, Jesus, why are, we, why are we putting together our Passover meal on Thursday when Passover's tomorrow? You're tracking, Right? Okay, good, I mean, I don't, you're allowed to say yes. I mean, you can, this is totally interactive, okay? So, so yes, okay, so, so that, that's a big thing. Here's what's so beautiful about, again, the providence of God in his timing, in his schedule, doing everything, never making a mistake. If you read Josephus, he talks and explains this and helps us understand that there are two, basically, regions of Jewish people who actually designated days at different times. So you have the northern Jews that basically did sunrise to sunrise, and the southern that did sunset to sunset. So if you have the, four, the 15th of Nisan, which is Passover, which is Thursday at sunrise to Friday at sunrise, then you've actually got two different Passovers happening that are totally legitimate. So you've got one happening Thursday night, one happening Friday night. What's awesome is he's got the people he's with these disciples, the Galilean tribe, who would always have their Passover Thursday evening. This is why if you read the the Gospel of John, if you read the Gospel of John, when they come in to arrest Jesus, a lot of the leaders did not actually have their Passover meal yet because they were from the southern region and they hadn't celebrated it yet. So it actually also helped people when they took the Passover to actually not have everybody doing it at one time, which would have been nuts So it still fell within that time frame and you had two literal Passovers, Jesus meeting with the northern Jews at the table instituting the Lord's Supper, which we'll do in a moment, and then the next day doing a true Passover where he will be dead and, and killed as about thousands more are killed on Friday. It's amazing that Jesus satisfies both, that he walks in both, that he takes two total Passovers, This is what would happen. This is how it would be done. This is not a surprise. This is not abnormal. And so Jesus knows that he's gonna be with the Galilean disciples on Thursday and killed the next day. And this is how it all starts to roll out. Verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat the Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. (laughs) Jesus is about to institute what we know as the Lord's Supper, communion. Paul gives a full treatment of that in 1 Corinthians. We actually taught on that, so I'm not gonna do that here. Uh, you can go listen to that online where we explicitly walk through what we believe the Lord's Supper is, what it, what it means. And I believe Paul actually wrote that 10 years before Luke wrote this and clarifies this. But here it's likely sunset Passover meal's starting, and they're lounging. They're lingering. Meals were very, very long. Weren't like ours. We just gotta, man, shove it down, get to your meeting. Where are the kids, grab them, throw them in the chair. Something's burning. Where's dad, is he home from work yet? I mean, just chaos, it's not like that, man. They took time and they just sat and lounged And laid and ate and thought and remembered upon the goodness of God in delivering them from their slavery. They dwelled on it, they thought about it, they gave thanks, they would sing. And Jesus tells them how he longed to eat this meal with them before he suffered this is just another obvious place. People are like, I don't think Jesus knew about his crucifixion. Like, I don't think he knew the time. I don't even think he knew it was really coming. He just said, we got to eat this now because I'm going to die. Like, we, we, he, it was always right before him. I mean, I don't understand this. I'm not really sure what he really thought. I mean, Jesus is sitting here and he's going, hey, let's, let's have this meal because I'm going to suffer. Don't you guys see sitting around this table what this all points to, what I'm going to do tomorrow? Jesus is just continuing to show them, man, I just want to have one more night to encourage you and strengthen you and be with you, and I love it. You see his humanity in his emotions welling up as he shares this. I earnestly desire to eat this with you before I suffer. And Jesus says this beautiful, beautiful line, I'm not going to eat this again until I fulfill what's before me. In other words, this is the last Passover. Why? Because he's going to be the Passover. Man, after this night, after he has this Passover meal, you're not going to need it again because you get Jesus. He's basically saying, man, I'm, e- I'm eating this lamb with you, and tomorrow I'm going to be the lamb for you. Oh, man, if the disciples had any idea what's before them, right, or if they had any idea what's about to happen, or any idea the weight of what Jesus is trying to lay before them, And I love this. He's basically also saying in this, this is the final Passover until I return and set up my kingdom, you're not gonna have this meal with me again. This is the great wedding supper of the lamb. Do you guys realize, have you ever thought of this? Man, those of us who are believers in Jesus, those of us who have trusted in his, Death and resurrection for the forgiveness of our sin, liberation from sin, walking in newness of life, have the Holy Spirit. He is our allegiance. He is our Lord. He is our God. His blood has been shed to forgive us. Those of us, we're going to actually share this meal again with him, with the disciples? Like we're going to be around a table with, with John and Peter? Like that's real. Like we're going to do it again with Jesus, yet as we eat, it's not going to point back to the Exodus, it's going to point back to the cross. Right, we're going to sit around the table celebrating, not because, hey, great job delivering your people out of slavery after 400 years, great job redeeming a, a tribe from every tongue, nation, land, and place for the glory of your name that you ransom with your blood, and we're all going to sit around and celebrate that together. That is insane. <laughs> That's going to be a great meal. And you won't be hungry and yet you'll love eating. In a fully glorified place with God, curse being lifted, enjoying another meal with Jesus, who promised in his kingdom, hey, we'll do it again. But we're not gonna do it again until that happens, until that's inaugurated, until I return. Because you're not gonna need it. In the sense of Jesus is becoming the lamb who would be slain. And so during this meal, just as the prophets, before Jesus did, Jesus reminded his disciples of that exodus, and they were merely celebrating a shadow of a greater exodus that's just about to happen. It's right around the corner. It's 24 hours away. And look at what he says. He's about to share one of the greatest revelations in the history of mankind. Verse 17, he took the cup. When he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and gave it to them saying this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten saying this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold the hand of him who betrays me is with me on this table. For the son of man goes it has been determined but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed, and they begin to question one another, which of them would be the one who's going to do this? So Jesus makes clear in this, as he institutes the Lord's Supper, he makes clear here that the Passover meal is much more than just remembering something in the past, it's a declaration of what is about to happen in the future. And there's two components, body and blood, bread and drink. So the first, he says of the bread, this is my body, this is very simply symbolizing my body's gonna be broken for you, it's going to suffer, so you don't have to suffer the ultimate weight and consequence of your sin. You're not gonna have to stand under the wrath of God that will incinerate you, you can have Jesus do it for you. You can have Jesus be crushed for your sin. And you get to walk away in freedom because of his death, because of his broken body. And then he says, which is the focus, he says, Then this is the blood, the cup of blood, which is this new covenant. Now Jesus is saying here, really, my blood that's going to be shed tomorrow is the blood of the new covenant. What's he doing? He's shutting down the altar. (laughs) He's saying, man, my blood's going to be the blood that's been necessary since the exit, since I instituted the sacrificial system. It was never because God needed blood to be shed. It was because of what it taught. And what it taught was, you know, sin is gross, it smells, it stains, it's just awful. Well, that was supposed to demonstrate how bad, how sinful, how wicked our sin actually is and how necessary it is that blood would need to be the one thing that removes it and forgives it. It was all to be a teaching opportunity to show how scandalous our sin is before a God that stands in infinite perfections. And so that's why I don't want you to miss that wonderful, wonderful statement, that massive statement, this is the new covenant. This is the end to all the ceremonial laws, all the dietary laws, all the rites, all the rituals. There's no need for sacrifice anymore. Jesus is your sacrifice. There's no need for priests anymore to be your mediator because Jesus will be your high priest. That's why the veil was torn when Jesus died. That's why we become the priesthood of believers when we trust in his name. There's not gonna be a need for constant shedding of blood because once for all, my blood that was shed will be done and have the full authority and power to forgive sin in its fullest. The moral laws still uphold because God doesn't change. But all these other laws and rights are gone. Because it's a new covenant, one of grace and forgiveness, one where now Jesus has done. This is what the Old Testament believers believed in, this is what New Testament believers believe back on. It always centered around Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection. Jesus' blood being shed as the Lamb of God inaugurated in Luke chapter three. Man, it, isn't it amazing look, at, if you've been on this for two years, walk through this book, you're now seeing John the Baptist declaring something becoming literally fulfilled and foreshadowed days away now. That, that's amazing. You can almost hear John, right, the back of your ears going, hey, the Lamb of God is here. I can see him coming for his public ministry, the one who takes away the sin of the world, the Lamb who would be slain, and now here he's sitting around a table with those closest to him throughout these three years of ministry going, hey, man, this is about to happen. What you heard John say three years ago as I entered, my forerunner who was promised back in the Old Testament, don't you see it's about to take place? Don't you see that I'm about to do this? Don't you see that I am the lamb? That my blood is what is necessary. And all of these things we receive, the sacrifice of Jesus becoming his temple him being our great high priest. All of these things we receive in the new covenant only because of the shedding of his blood. He had to do that. It's the way God planned it. It's the way God wrote it. And this great meal isn't to be celebrated once a year. It's to be celebrated often. <laughs> right? Because we look back on Calvary, not the Exodus. We look back at him being our lamb and his body that was broken, his blood that was shed. So we gladly come to the table. That's why we do this thing each week when we're here. Because we love to remember this. We love to celebrate this and reflect on this. Paul speaks to this in Ephesians 2 verse 13. I love this verse. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. How? By the blood of Jesus Christ. I love this, and I'll tell you why I love this verse. This says that I have been brought near to God, not by my effort, not by my religion, not by my morale, not by my works, not by my rights, nothing, nothing has brought me into reconciliation with God, brought me near to God, right? His perfection, His holiness is glorious. If I looked upon Him, I would die, right? We cannot even stand before Him in the state that we are in, and yet the one thing that can bring us near to God is the blood shed from Christ Jesus. And I love that it shows that this is what brings me near. So even the days that I fall, even the days that I have weak moments and temptations I give way to, I know I'm not being brought near because I somehow fell less one week. I'm solely being brought near to God because the blood of Jesus Christ was shed for me. Like That's why as Christians, our daily plea is the blood of Jesus Christ. We plead the blood of Jesus Christ. For forgiveness of sin, for newness of life, and we were constantly saying, I can't approach him. I can't come near him. I can't walk with him. I can't commune with him. I can't do anything with him unless blood is shed, so his wrath passes over me, and then I'm entering into fullness of relationship with God, and when he returns, the largest consummation of that in the new heavens and new earth, but right now I can absolutely approach his throne, which is grace and not judgment. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus. The blood blood that is to be shed, the blood he's foreshadowing in the Lord's Supper, the blood that is about to be taken on the cross upon himself is absolutely necessary and beautiful. And the reason I'm going after this like I'm going after this is because this is one of the and will be something that is attacked in the Christian doctrine. Absolutely, Jesus Christ was slaughtered. And it's beautiful. Because he had to be. Absolutely. He laid his life out and his blood out for us so that we could see that wrath can pass over us and we can be spared from our sin and leave our Egypt and walk into promised lands. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for the blood. What a savior. So guys, this is why our life becomes a constant plea of the blood of Jesus. Now I wonder, some of you plead your behavior. Some of you plead you got God judging you on a curve. Some of you plead your religion. Some of you plead your family lineage. Some of you plead your background. Some of you plead your Bible reading. Some of you plead your prayer life. Some of you plead, I don't know what you plead, but I'm telling you, nothing's gonna bring you near in the saving sense to God other than his blood being shed. If you're relying on any one of those things to justify you before God, to make you holy before God, to make you spotless and blameless as himself before a holy, righteous God, you will not be made holy, spotless, and righteous before God. You must plead the blood of Jesus Christ that what he shed was sufficient and good to forgive us of our sin. And that's why Paul echoes what Jesus laid out in the Lord's Supper. The only way you get this covenant of grace is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The only way this new covenant people of God, no longer just the Israelites and Gentiles, but, but one people that God saves and ransoms, is through the shedding of his blood. You know, for some of you, maybe, um, and I I love this because this, this, this plead, the blood of Jesus, is not just for our salvation. It's also for your sanctification. Like, you pleading the blood of Jesus isn't just so that you are at a moment, which we believe, absolutely, there is a time... Not all of us know that, discern that exactly, but there is a time where God seals you with his spirit, he indwells you, he saves you, he justifies you. That's, that means you are declared right before God. You are declared righteous before God solely based upon the, the act and work of Jesus Christ, right? So there's a moment that happens, but then the rest of your life is this progressive, ongoing, becoming more like the image of Jesus as you grow in grace. So the bleeding of blood doesn't stop when you get saved, Like you have to keep pleading the blood of Jesus as you walk and grow in godliness. Like this is so important because that's why he says, do this in remembrance of me. Because he knows that you're always going to be prone to forget. You're going to forget what brought you near. You're going to forget what justified you. You're going to forget what made you right in the first place. You're going to move on to new things and other things and clever things and ideologies and other religious systems and beliefs and who knows what. He's going, man, no, remember this. Do this in remembrance of me. Why? Because we are constantly prone to forget what made us right with God. So he goes, man, do this to remember what I've done over and over and over. He knows that we'll be tempted to fall back on other things for our salvation. So he says, please continue to plead the blood of Jesus. For some of you, there's constant angst in your soul because your rest is not in Jesus, who is our Passover lamb. That's why you've got just swirling winds about you. For some. For some. You find it in the bottle. You find it in relationships. You find it in your greed. You find it in esteem from others. I don't know where you run after it. Maybe it's in the accumulation of things. But some of you, maybe without realizing it, you plead those things. You don't plead the blood of Jesus Christ, which gives you rest, which makes the wrath pass over you. Because imagine you're in your house and you know the angel of death is approaching. Man, what's the one thing you're gonna wanna make sure you have? Hey babe, how are our doorposts? Right? I mean, did you do a couple layers? (laughs) Right? I mean, did you slaughter like maybe 10 calves? I mean, just, man, let's load it up, right? I mean, that would be your focus. That would be the center. That would be the gravity for you. You know, what's amazing is in our house where the angel of death comes we find ourselves if we're not careful as we apparently grow in grace walking away from the doorposts and onto other things in our house totally forgetting not looking not worshipping not beholding not loving the very thing that gave you rest in the first place It is that that's why as Christians we celebrate. If you're not a Christian in this room, man, that's why we sing songs about blood. I'm just sure go, man, why do you sing about blood? It's so weird. Well, it would be weird if this were not true. It wouldn't make sense if this were not our story. So this repent, believe, come to the table, this thing we do at the end of every service is where we grab the bread, dip in the cup. It's this active remembering of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he absorbed our sins, that he paid our debt, that he suffered for us in our place, that he rose again, that the shedding of blood was necessary and we cherish it and we remember it and we worship it and we celebrate it. So let's take some time, I'd love to just give a few moments of space to take some inventory, um, however the Holy Spirit wants to minister to you in this moment. Um, I never wanna be that for you, I want the Holy Spirit be that for you. So let's take just a, a few moments here um, in quiet, then we're going to sing, we're going to worship, we're going to thank God after we come and take this supper that He instituted that we saw Him foreshadowing here in Luke 22. But what are the things that you might be pleading in your life for rest that is not the blood of Jesus Christ? What might be spaces in your heart where there is constant unrest? because you are pleading for that thing to change or be altered before you can have rest for your soul. If you are in this room and you are not a Christian, listen, you will never have full rest until you plead Jesus' blood shed for you and trust in that alone as sufficient to wash away sin and forgive sin and make you new in Christ, to deliver you from your enslavement in your Egypt, to walk out as a free man or free woman. Plead the blood of Jesus this morning. Repent of your sin. Acknowledge that it is greatly offended God and that he made a way for mercy. Don't be like Pharaoh. He's saying there's still opportunity there's still grace and forgiveness and mercy available. Father, as you're gonna continue to give us time as we sing and as we observe the supper and the table, continue to work in our hearts and graciously free us from the things that enslave us, God, would we constantly walk in grace and grow in that grace, not believing we're achieving salvation, but Lord, continued freedom based upon, again, what you freed us with, and that is the death and resurrection of your son. I thank you for what you accomplished in the sacrifice of Jesus. What a savior you are, that debt was paid in full, that righteousness can be given, and that sin can be forgiven. Help us in Jesus' name, amen.